Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Uh, let's turn our attention this morning to God's Word. Um, uh, this morning we're going to be continuing on in Acts, um, Acts chapter 13, verses 44, uh, 13, 44 through 14, 7. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, you can bring it up on an app or on your computer. Don't look at anything else on your computer, just the Bible. Um, if you remember, if you were here last week, we are following the progress of Paul and Barnabas as they have been sent out on a missionary journey to the, to, to around the Mediterranean. Uh, the church up until this point has been fairly centered in Jerusalem and some surrounding areas. Then it made a jump over to the major city of Antioch on the coast. And from there, Paul and Barnabas are sent out to continue spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus, throughout the Mediterranean. So Acts will now follow their journey through various cities. And last week, we heard their sermon um, in Antioch of Pisidia, uh, in the synagogue there. And the last verse was significant. Many people were interested, and Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so this, uh, this seemed very exciting. They were preaching the word. People were interested. People were responding. And this passage is going to start with the whole city turning out to hear the word of the Lord. But then things are going to go, uh, I won't say necessarily downhill, but they're going to go to conflict in a hurry. Um, and so we're going to see conflict. We're going to see rejoicing. But as we read this, I want you to listen to two things. I want you to listen to what God is doing. Who is God showing himself to be? And listen to how different people are responding to God's grace. So listen to those things and then we'll reflect on them together. This is Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Let's pray.
Father God, we praise you for your word. We thank you for this story in Acts. We thank you for the work of Paul and Barnabas. We thank you even more for your work and your power. We pray now that you would speak to our hearts through your word. Show us what it means for us today, that it would not merely be information from our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the other day at, at lunch in our family, somehow we got a little bit on the topic of the British monarchy. And uh, Suzanne made the comment that Queen Elizabeth uh, has been Queen of England quite possibly longer than any of us have been alive. I'm not sure on a few of us, but at least for, very, for the most part of our lives, Queen Elizabeth has been the Queen of England. It's really quite remarkable. Um, and Suzanne and I, like many Americans, have... Uh, somewhat of a strange fascination with the, the British royalty, uh, being that we're Americans, it seems like we shouldn't care that much, but we do. We love the, we love the British royalty. We love the, the British uh, aristocracy. We like to watch Downton Abbey and see the great house and the lords and ladies and all their things. It's, it's fascinating, and it seems to many of us like such an appealing life. The, the power, the prestige, the servants... The parties, all these things seem so appealing. But if you pay attention to the, the history of the British royalty or even just to the news, you'll realize that the, the royalty themselves aren't always that into their life. Um, it seems like such a gift. Anybody who's in the royal line, of course, they're, they're only there because they were born there. They didn't do anything to earn their place. They were just given it. And they don't always like it. Um, Elizabeth became Queen of England because her father was king. And why was her father king? Her father was king because his older brother left the throne because he did not like the rules that he had to follow. He wanted to do something else. Even more recently, Harry and Meghan said, we're, we're done. We do not want to be part of this anymore. We want to live our own private lives. The gift of British royalty that seems so great and seems so awesome and mighty we don't, we don't always like it. Um, and I'm sure for many of us, if we actually got into it, we would, we would not like it. <laughs> We'd say we, we want out. We would not like the pressure of running the big house, of managing the household, of being responsible for all the servants, of the social obligations. We just want to be able to do our own thing. And we realize this sometimes not with, with gifts as grand as the British royalty, but even with with smaller gifts, things that you receive at Christmas or for a birthday or just for other occasions, that sometimes we're not always that excited about the gifts that we're given. Because the truth of the matter is that many gifts, even the most thoughtful and lavish gifts, many gifts come with a sense of obligation. Somebody gives you a gift, and there's sometimes things you have to do with it. You don't always like it. You don't always want to do it. Now, sometimes it may be uh, it may be a bad gift. It may not be good for you. It may not be helpful. You may have legitimate reasons for not wanting it. Sometimes that's just our own kind of self-centered hearts. We don't want to do what somebody else is telling us to do, even if it would actually be best for us. And what we see here in Acts chapter 13 and 14, if we look at what's really going on, this is really not primarily about Paul and Barnabas. They seem to be the characters here. But the main actor, as so often, as almost always in the biblical stories, the main actor is God. We see it throughout particularly with his word. We see three times in verses 44, 48, and 49, we see the word of the Lord. 
That's what they gathered here in verse 44. That's what, uh, or in verse 46, this is necessary that the word of God, that the word of God, the word of God, then it's the word of his grace. Then it's his gospel. It is the Lord who is moving. Did you catch in verse 48, when they were glorifying the word of the Lord, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If anybody doubted that God was watching over this, that God was in control of things, the author of Acts, Luke, just kind of sticks that in so we know God is in control. His grace is moving. And his grace is a gift that sometimes we're not sure what to do with. We're not sure whether we want his grace. It's an all-powerful gift. It's an all-consuming gift. But it's such an overwhelming gift that it calls forth a response. And we see here different responses. We see that the different responses of the Jews, the Jewish leaders who were jealous, who opposed Paul and Barnabas. So we see from the Jews the response of opposition, the response of jealousy, opposition to God's grace. We also see, though, the response of many of the Gentiles. By and large, what did the Gentiles do? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So we see the response of rejoicing. And then the other characters we see here are Paul and Barnabas. We see Paul and Barnabas extending the grace of God to others. So we see the Jews, we see the Gentiles, and we see the apostles. And we see that uh, it, and as we examine their responses, we can look for ourselves in them and consider how are we responding to the overwhelming gift of God, the overwhelming grace of God, the awe-inspiring grace of God. And we can see that grace more clearly for what it is. So let's first look at the response of the Jews. We see it there in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. At first, they started to listen, but then the Jews, particularly the leaders of the synagogue, those who had positions of authority, what got them? They were filled with jealousy that the crowds were coming. They were coming to listen to Paul and Barnabas and not them. And so what did they do? Verse 50, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they opposed the word of God. They opposed the good news of God's grace. Paul and Barnabas were offering them a chance for repentance, and they said, no thanks. And even again in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews, some Jews responded to Paul and Barnabas positively, but the unbelieving Jews reacted in opposition, and they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And finally, in verse 5, they, they got the rulers together to mistreat them and stone them and drove Paul and Barnabas out. So in the Jewish leaders, we see the response of opposition. But the fascinating thing, there's two fascinating things about them. One is that it is not just that they, it, it can feel a little bit like here in Paul and Barnabas seemingly quick response. You know, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, but now we're going to the Gentiles. And it can feel like, man, that was, that was rough. Paul and Barnabas were just kind of checking the box and then taking off. 
But when we look more closely at what they say, we see what the Jews were missing out on. In verse 47, Paul and Barnabas quote from Isaiah. They say, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's like, all right, a light for the Gentiles, they're skipping out. But if you look back at where that's quoted from, that's quoted from Isaiah chapter 49. And it's Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. And the way it starts out is it says, it is too light a thing. This is, this is God speaking to his servant, who is, this is these really prophecies of Jesus and his work. God speaking to his servant says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the, uh, the preserved of Israel. But rather, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, it's not that God was doing away with the Jews and then switching over to the Gentiles. Instead, what he said is it, it would not be enough. It would not fit God's glorious plan simply to bring the Jews back together. God has to do more. He has to do more. It is for Jews and Gentiles. It's not that he wanted to reject the Jews. He wanted to bring more people in. So it's important to realize in, in looking at the opposition of the Jews that they are the ones who are rejecting God. They should have been welcoming the expansion. They should have been excited about the crowds. Say, wow, we have good news from God. We have a Savior from God. And the Gentiles are believing too, even more. But what was their response? What was the root of their problem? In verse 45, they were filled with jealousy. And so the calling for us as we look at the Jews and we look at their response in this story is we have to guard our hearts, the danger of our hearts that will creep up and hinder even the good work of God, the response of jealousy. And you can add in other responses here that could be negative, the response of pride, the response of selfishness, the response of greed, wanting to keep things to ourselves, wanting to stay comfortable, wanting to have just for ourselves, not wanting to see, to do the hard work of welcoming other people in, not liking to see other people get the credit, not liking losing our special position. So we have to guard our hearts because what happened is when that jealousy took root in their hearts, that's what led them to then make their theological disagreements with Paul and Barnabas. And so they started their arguments and their logical reasoning that Paul, you've got this wrong. It's just, it's not what you're saying. And they stirred up other people against them. But where did it start? It started with a heart problem. It started with a sin problem, the problem of jealousy. And I think of a, a particular friend of mine from college who, uh, who, who came in as, a, as an on-fire Christian believer, and he was excited about the Lord and then after a few years, he, he, or actually just after one year, he came, he started asking a lot of questions and he started expressing all these doubts about who God was and could God really be good and, and all these things. And ultimately he, he turned away from the faith um, and he, he walked away from our fellowship, our community, and he walked away from his very faith. And when I reflect on what happened to him, I realized it didn't start with the questions. Because before he started questioning, when we look back at it, we realize what came first was the drug use. 
It was the not wanting to submit his life to God. It was not wanting to be obedient. It started with a desire to have his own pleasure and his own actions. And then the, the theological questions and the doubts came up as a bit of a cover. And I wonder for us, how often does that happen where we raise, we raise high-sounding questions about what God has said? And yet at its root, it's a desire to go our own way, to have our own self-centered desires, to have the pleasures and the things that we want. Sometimes we can see that in the lives of other people. Sometimes we can see that in our own lives. And so the call here, as we look at the Jews, we can say that uh, well, we're here, we're worshiping God, we're not opposed to the word of God, but it is a call for us to guard our hearts, to watch for the creeping in of sin, of jealousy, of anger, of self-righteousness, of putting other things, making other things more important than God, of making our tribal political allegiances more important than our Christian brother and sisterhood. What is it that we put keep our heart focused on? And so the antidote to our, the, the sinfulness of our hearts is recognizing that, being aware of it, and confessing it. Being alert to the presence of sin in our hearts, of these, these jealousy and covetousness and all these sins, and saying, God, will you forgive me? Will you change my heart? And so if we do that, we can guard our hearts against the sin that, that hinders us, that entangles us, and draws us away from the right response to God. So if we've seen the opposition, if we've seen the danger, we guard our hearts against that danger, what is the right response? The right response of God here is the response of the Gentiles. The response of the Gentiles here is the right response. Look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. What is the right response to the overwhelming grace of God? It is to rejoice. Even in the midst of, of the, even though the grace of God calls us to a hard life, it calls us to a life of obedience, it calls us to a life of sacrifice. But time and time again throughout the Bible, we take that on with rejoicing. The Gentiles saw that this was good news, that God's kingdom was expanding, that they were being welcomed in. And the only response to that is to rejoice, to rejoice and give thanks. And so the question for us then is, are we a people of rejoicing? If you, if you call yourself a Christian, if you've committed yourself to him, if you're part of a Christian community, if you put your faith in Jesus, do you live a life of rejoicing? Do you live a life of rejoicing? And, and sometimes the, the key may look at that and say, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I have trouble rejoicing. This is a hard time to rejoice. And, and surely it is true that there are times for sorrow. There are times for mourning, times for sadness. The Bible is clear about that. The Bible is clear that this rejoicing is not just putting a happy, a happy band-aid on things and saying we're all going to get along and it's going to be great. Certainly nothing about getting stoned and driven out of cities is exciting. And Acts does not, uh, does not paper over the challenges here. But even in the midst of it, it calls us to rejoice. And sometimes it's just a matter of what you're focusing on, what you are paying attention to. 
I think of those optical illusions where you look at something and it just looks like a whole scattered bunch of dots on a page. But then when you kind of, when you focus on it and you look a little bit closer, the picture becomes clear. And sometimes in our life, we just see the scattering of dots and it just feels like a mess. But when the picture becomes clear, when we see God's grace in all of these different aspects of our lives, when we take time to recount his works, to reflect on what he has done, both individually and as a community, say, yes, God has preserved me. Yes, God has provided for me when I didn't think I had anything left. Yes, God sustained me when I didn't think I had the strength to serve anymore. God has provided friendship for me. God has provided relationships for me. God has done all this for me. I see his grace at work. I see his miraculous power at work. When we look at those things, the picture becomes clear. And when the picture of God's grace becomes clear, then we can rejoice. We can rejoice. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to look for those pictures of God's grace. Share them with one another. Say, this is what I have seen God done for me. Have you seen God do anything in your life? Write them down in a journal. Stop and look back at the end of the day and say, how have I seen God today? That you may be able to better rejoice in what he has done and have hope for what he will continue to do. And if you're not a Christian, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you've not joined together with his community, with his people, you, you are right here with the Gentiles. And the same offer that was to them is to you. Say, you, God's word is a light for the Gentiles, for all the nations. Salvation is there for all. Salvation to the ends of the earth. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have said, you are not too far from the grace of God. And all you have to do with it, what do you have to do to, to get a gift? To get a gift is not something you have to pay for, not something you have to earn. It is simply something you accept. Say, today I will receive the grace of God. I will receive his gift. And I cannot tell you that it's going to be easy. I cannot tell you that it's going to snap my fingers when you say yes to Jesus and make all your problems go away. But as you see God begin to work in your life, and you begin to see him in the lives of people around you, you too can join with the Gentiles and with the rest of us here in rejoicing at the word of the Lord and bring glory to it. So we see the warning of opposition of the Jews, the warning that we must guard our hearts. We see rejoicing in God's word from the Gentiles. But what about the apostles? What about Paul and Barnabas? What response do they offer? We see in Paul and Barnabas that they extend the grace of God to others. And this is our calling as individual Christians and as a church community, as we have rejoiced in God's goodness to us, to then extend that grace to other people. And the, the greatest picture of the grace is that right after Paul and Barnabas declare to the Jews that they're done with them, we are going to the Gentiles. And they shake off their feast and they, feet and they went to Iconium. Verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. What do they do at Iconium? Now at Iconium, they enter together into the Jewish synagogue. This is grace. In the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, in the face of saying we're going to the Gentiles, they go to the next city and they go right back to the synagogue, offering grace to the same group of people who had just rejected them, just in the next city. They do not, they've not completely turned away. They have not given up. 
that they, with as God's agents, they extend the grace of God. And then they get driven off from there. What do they do? 14 verse 7. There they continue to preach the gospel. In the face of persecution, in the face of opposition, in the face of rejection, Paul and Barnabas continue to extend the grace of God. How can they do that? How can they continue extending the grace of God in the face of rejection, in the face of suffering, in the face of hardship? And I think Paul and Barnabas could extend God's grace because they had received it so fully for themselves. They knew what God had done for them. Paul knew that he had been an opponent of the gospel, that he had rejected it, that he had persecuted those who proclaimed it, and yet God showed grace to him. And so he could extend that grace to others. And so if we are to follow as a community in the example of Paul and Barnabas, we too must drink deeply of God's grace and then consider where we can extend the grace of God to others. This is why it's one of our core values as a community to be outward facing. To rejoice in the word of the Lord and to drink deeply of his grace is not something that we keep for ourselves. It's something we extend outward to others. It's why we want to make so much of what we do open and accessible and welcoming. Pay attention to those who are first coming in and say, we love you. We would love for you to be part of us. We want to listen to you and hear you. And even if those people push us away a little bit and are not receptive, we can keep coming back. We keep returning just as Paul and Barnabas went back to the synagogue. And for each of us individually, the call is the same. Again, to reflect and rejoice on what God has done for us. And then to consider who is it to whom God is calling us to extend his grace? Who, who is it that we need to offer forgiveness to? that has hurt us and says, I forgive you? Who is it that has not deeply hurt us and, and there's wisdom involved there, but who is it that just kind of has annoyed us? And we need to reach out and, and seek relationship again. Not that they have hurt us, not that they have damaged us, but they're just, they're just not our person. And yet the grace of God, as we've seen in, in Acts, crosses all boundaries, crosses all barriers. And we can be the people who extend that grace to other people. In all of this, as we examine the different responses, as we warn against, uh, as we guard our hearts against the opposition of the Jews, as we rejoice with the Gentiles who receive the word of the Lord, as we extend grace with the apostles, with Paul and Barnabas, we remember that the start of this all is the glory of God. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to simply raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. But I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the vision that we grab hold of. God is bringing his word, his salvation, his kingdom throughout the earth. And we get to be a part of it. Together with Jesus, together with our king, we have been made royalty. We have been given the gift of royalty in union with Jesus. And so we respond rightly to him. And we take that with all the calling that comes with it, all the responsibility and the obligation, because we rejoice in the grace of our God, in the glory of our King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We pray that you would give us hearts that respond rightly, 
that we would rejoice in your grace, rejoice in your gifts, and extend that grace to other people. Would you make us a people and a community that extend your grace, that welcome others in, and see your glory fill this city, fill this nation, fill the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.